Safa has a little drush. Safa, you might have you have a little drush maybe. Also. All right. So Shabbat Shalom. We're doing Bad Bemidbar. Um, surviving the wilderness. So reading um, the verse first few verses of Numbers here. On the first day of the second month in the second year, following the exodus from the land of Egypt, the Lord spoke to Moshe in the wilderness of Sinai in the tent of meeting, saying, Take a census of the whole Israelite community by the clans of its ancestral houses, listing the names, every male, head by head. You and Aharon shall record them by their groups from the age of 20 up, all those in Israel. Are, who are able to bear arms. So, you know, that we, we went through this just now, that the shot is, you know, there, there's a census for all um, able-bodied able -bodied men to um, essentially go to war if they need to. Um, the book of Numbers comes from, um, I guess, this, this ancient Hebrew title called Sefer HaPekudim, which is the the census scroll. That's where we get that in English, numbers. But then also, Bemibar um, means like wilderness. And that's like the first, um, the first unique word or of the of the verse of that of that parsha. Um, I like to kind of I kind of like it to think of it as like kind of like songs. Sometimes there's there's a song that you know. And you know it by like the first word or some some part of the song, but that's not actually the name of the song. But it's like you know it by that. It's kind of the same thing with this. All the verses, I mean, all the parashas in Hebrew are, are named after like uh, just a word. And bless a, a significant word about it. So that's how you know about what it is. Um, so they're they they're you know so they're counted and then they're also like put in organization so they're ordered around the tabernacle, everything has its proper place and order so that they're able to traverse through the wilderness and um, I guess it'd be um, orderly, you know, so there's no like confusion, chaos, you know, that kind of thing. Um, so you think like, uh, and they're great. And they're, and, you know, at that time, they're probably thinking, all right, we're, we're nice and ordered and ready to go. We're going to, we're going to tackle this wilderness like nothing. You know? Of course, we know that they have a lot of hardships coming up, but at least they thought it was going to be great at that time. <laughs> and so um, we'll, we'll read some exposition of the sages here. So Rabbi Judah began his exposition. O generation, behold the word of the Lord. Have I been like a wilderness to Israel or a land of deep gloom? That's found in Jeremiah 2, verse 31. He, Jeremiah, took that jar of manna and showed it to the people of Jeremiah's generation and said, Behold, what delicacies your ancestors had in the wilderness when they followed God's will. Have I been like a wilderness to Israel? This means, has the Holy One been like a wilderness to you? When a human monarch wishes to send his legions out to battle, he supplies all their needs while still in their base. But when they go forth, he only gives them enough to keep them from starvation because he does not have the supplies in the wilderness that he has at the base. The Holy One, however, did not treat your ancestors like that. Rather, he supplied all their needs for 40 years in the wilderness, as it says. And in the wilderness, where, 
where you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a man carries his son. Deuteronomy 1, verse 31. Did they lack anything? Have I been like a wilderness to Israel? Jeremiah said to them, did he make them march in the dark at night or smite them with heat during the day, as happens with caravans traversing the wilderness? Rather, a pillar of fire illuminated them at night and consumed any thorns or serpents or scorpions. And a pillar of cloud guarded them from the sun and the extreme heat during the day. Then why do my people say we have broken loose? We will not come to you anymore. Jeremiah 2, verse 2. The wilderness testifies against you, for it was there that the Holy One performed miracles and helped you under Moshe. What verse teaches this? As we read here, the Lord spoke to Moshe in the wilderness of Sinai. That's found in the Midrash, Hagadol Bedmibar. Um, this Midrash is, is found in a medieval Yemenite collection entitled Midrash Hagadol. So, um, so that's very, uh, it's very nice, right? It's very kind of shows how Hashem takes care of us in the wilderness. Um, this format of this teaching is called a peticha, an opening. A homily serves as an introductory statement leading up to the verse that begins a section. So this peticha builds around the word bedmibar. Have I been a wilderness to Israel? So as we, you know, as we read, you know, Hashem took care of them, you know, in the wilderness. They, the wilderness that, that we know of, um, the, the, it seems like the children of Israel didn't really have to, to deal with that extreme. You know what I mean? He was taking care of them the whole time. Um, and, and so, you know, so then Jeremiah, I guess, is saying, you know, you have no right to abandon Hashem's ways when he's always taking care of you, even in the wilderness. Yeah? And so then uh, Rabbi Hammer, you know, kind of told his own story. Uh, well, first he told, told a story about how, you know, when Israel became a nation, there are many people that had to kind of travel that literally had to travel through the wilderness to get back to the land of Israel, you know. Um, they, um, they marched across these, this wilderness, you know. Um, um, and it was, you know, some had, some had to go, they had to go through a British blockade, I guess, to get into Palestine. And, um, and the Soviet Jews, they had to like, some, some of them had to endure um, prison or Siberia or whatever, they had to deal, deal, with, deal with all these kind of things before they actually got to the land of Israel. So they kind of had this, um, you know, he's, he calls it like this, what did he call it? This, this disastrous conflict. And he said, there's the other one was like kind of like a glorious honeymoon. Like one is like super nice and, and easy and, and wonderful. Um, and the other one is like really hard. Now here's the verses he used to, connect, to control, to convey these messages. So in Jeremiah 2 verse, 2, verse 2, it says, I accounted to you, I, I, I accounted to your favor, the devotion of your youth, your love as a bride, how you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. And then the, um, the other one is, for the disastrous one, it's 40 years was I provoked by that generation. I thought they are a senseless people. 
they would not know my ways. Concerning them, I swore in anger, they shall never come to my resting place. And that's in Psalms 95. So, I mean, sometimes it's a little bit of both when you're, when you're going through this wilderness to get to the land or to get to a good place. You know, these, we have these little mini journeys that we go in our lives. Um, and so then he tells a story about how Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Hammer tells a story about how he made it Aliyah. And, and when he went there, um, you know, he gave up, gave up his big home that he had over here in the U.S. And he bought a tiny little apartment. That was like he said, as big as his basement. <laughs> um, and he bought it without seeing it. You know, he just he bought it and they said it was going to be done in two months. And so they pretty much, you know, they got all, most, most of all their possessions, you know, they, whatever the things that they really wanted to keep, they put it in, in some type of container that was shipped across the ocean. And then they flew over with their little bags that they had and they stayed in uh, whatever they call it. What's it, what do you call it again? Uh, Meva absorption center. So they were there. It's right next to the, this considered part. It's not technically Jerusalem, but yeah. it's like right outside of Jerusalem. So, so they were there in this little thing, little place, kind of with a lot of people. They made a lot of a lot of good friends um, um, from all over the world, you know, from America, England, France, Europe. And um, and they said they became like even closer than family, you know, they became very close. So then like right after they moved. The, the Yom, Yom Kippur war broke. And so then that delayed their apartment from being built. Um, so then they were, they were in that place for, for 14, 16 months, 14, let me see, for 14 months. So they were in there for 14 months. And then of course it got started getting cold and things. And they, like, they had um, people that helped take care of them and give them clothes and stuff that they needed to survive the winter. Um, so they had a little bit of kind of wilderness experience, you know, kind of. Um, but, you know, he said it wasn't, you know, it wasn't that bad because, you know, they, they had everything they needed. You know, he, he said there was, it was harder for the, for the Israelis that were actually fighting the war. You know, they, a lot of um, husbands and sons had to go into battle, and had a lot of, you know, bad things that happened. You know. um, but they got to move into their new home and, and, and everything was, 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 was wonderful, you know? And um, so he guess he wanted to like, say, you know, even though, even though we think that we might go be going through like a, a very tough time, uh, a wilderness time, uh, oftentimes Hashem takes, takes the difficulties out of that wilderness you know it could have been it could be much much worse but Hashem takes these difficulties out of that wilderness journey and then as you look back you, you see oh it wasn't it wasn't really as bad as I thought it was at the time <laughs> all right that's all I have for my little Josh
Maybe just clip it onto the bottom of my beard. Yeah. <laughs> um, so if anybody's online or anybody that knows that if they can get this get started on this Google search, that'd be great. Because uh, when I go back to get like uh, mid rashes, I've heard it's like it's never find. Them. Never find. I can find you know twenty things about the rapture or you know, but any type of Jewish commentary, it's like you've got to like get into the to the to the nuts and bolts. So I'm an accountant. I'm not a tech guy. So <laughs> anybody in the future that hears this message, get started on it. But, um, so there's, it's, it's kind of a, the tour portion this week is, is a, as far as nuts and bolts, it's, you know, kind of a dry one, right? So you've got a bunch of names, you've got a bunch of numbers, which is probably what the numbers, you know, is based on. Because you've got a bunch, it starts out numbering people, but uh, you know, Ruben mentioned uh, you know the numbering. I heard an analogy that um, you know you don't number something, you don't you don't count something unless it's valuable valuable to you, right? So people collect things and they and they start counting them. You know, when when you go into like a uh, a new home and you start a family, you have, you know, ticks on the walls, right? You want to see how tall your children are getting, right? <clears throat> so he, he, he wants to keep track of all the people. What's interesting, this is off topic, but as an accountant, I always wondered how they arrived at the, at the, the rounding. What was the actual number, right? But it was it's interesting that, 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 Moshe had the accountants work up. No, we don't need to go into, you know, until it's the 237 people. Right? Yeah, yeah, Anyways, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm detracting. I, I, that's part of my brain going into, no, it was the actual count. You know, but, so, uh, so I was looking at the big thing was uh, the, the way the camp was set up. So uh, they had four groups, four major tribes that were put in. And in between each tribe, so the Hashem said that there would be a tribe, and then so I've seen different diagrams of what the what the uh, this is something that other religious groups do as well as good as I know in Negev they have a kind of a replica of the tabernacle set up. Where in the, in the Negev they've got a tabernacle set. We we went to one up in Amish country that was was. Uh, you know, they have people in the Holy of Holies, and we're like, no, you shouldn't be going in there. <laughs> but but uh, it was interesting. But, uh, you know, they had the kind of their diagram of, you know, the way the, the camp was set up. And uh, the way it was is uh, Hashem specifically set out, right? He knows that Joseph necessarily doesn't need to be right next to Simeon, right? You know, it's within, you know, when we hear, you know, this idea of community, uh, we have this grand idea that led, some things led to communism or socialism, you know, where everybody, we all need to be in this, this, this all group think, right? But when Hashem set up the, the, the tabernacle, first we had, we have families, right? We, and we have personal families that are within a tent, right? And then you have a tribe, but you have a head of a tribe, which is a subsection of three tribes, right? So there'd be the tribe, there is, and in between, 
Well, there'd be the tabernacle first, and then there'd be Levites surrounding the tabernacle. And then after that, you have the four divisions of tribe, right? And one of the reasons why I was talking about Jugal is I heard several Midrash saying even before, even then, there needed to be a division between the tribes. And actually, out of Miriam's well, which is a rock that followed uh, Midrashically, there was a rock that followed them that provided water for them and uh, for them, for us, children of Israel. And it was each tribe had a had a banner. Like they would set up, they're like, yay, Judah, yay, Simeon, yay, Issachar. They, you know, to keep from fighting or whatever, the, the Miriam's well would go out and it would divide in between each camp, right? So unless you were unless you were a, a, a unless you were a young young lady and you met somebody from a different tribe, you're pretty much in that tribe, you know. And it was a kind of a way of each tribe had their 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 um, just like we all do, uh, they had their strengths and they had their weaknesses. They've got, okay, you know, Yehuda is good. He's going to be, he's going to be the, you know, he's got the purple. He's going to be the king. He's going to be, his descendants are going to be the king, right? And then you have, you know, uh, some lesser known tribes. Their deal, they're going to be seafarers, right? Okay. Seafarers, kings, I don't know, you know, but that must have been something when, it, when uh, the, uh, when Israel gave out the pronunciation, it seems like at the end, he's like, you're going to work with goats and you're going to, you know, you're going to, you're going to be a king, you know? So, uh, but, you know, how do we apply this to today is uh, I, sometimes I, I say, okay, well, I, I don't, I've got specific issues in my life. Uh, I'm going to say this. Okay. So uh, I was reading uh, when we lost it, we lost a child. Uh, several years ago, and we were looking for meaning and what, what, what was what was the purpose. And uh, one of the one of the statements was that uh, Hashem has your reasons for everything, right? He has, um, you know, the, everybody has an assignment, right? So uh, our uh, our child was going to have special needs, right? And so. The father, I want the best for my children. So I was thinking, how is this going to work? How, you know, how will this translate to regular life? You know, and I came across a, a, a teaching, um, uh, Zibi Friedman, I believe it was. And he was saying that that in the midrash, you know, of course, I need to work on getting the actual, you know, the the addresses on that. And I apologize. I'll work on. I'll work on that. Um, that uh, you know, there's some people that are given a vast amount of Torah knowledge that they're able to take into uh, life, you know, with them, but they're not able to explain it. They're not able to expound on it. They're kind of like a like a watcher. They're they're here to kind of judge us and and to see how we treat them, right? And um, so. When Hashem set up the, the tribal system and the, and the locations around the tabernacle, right? He knew that there were specific people for specific staffs, and we all have those within us. We have things that Hashem is giving us to do, and then there's things that we have that we need to overcome, right? And sometimes we want to say, well, I want to go and I want to do what Issachar does, or I want to do what 
Yehuda does, but you know, Hashem has put us in a certain tribe, you know, and that's where we uh, can confide that he, he wants us where he has us, that we just follow his will, that he'll, he'll work it out, you know. We'll be part of greater Israel, but we work within that. So, Shalom. Hopefully that was edifying to somebody. One more comment. Um, I was thinking about this all night long, whenever I woke up in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, from reading this Torah portion, I think the biggest things that stood out to me were the difference between the, um, the, the Israelite social structure um, in contrast with the westernized or American, especially American social structure in terms of in terms of age and what is supposed to be done at that age. So in, in Western culture, um, parents, I feel they're treated just like as our, our only job here is to is to feed our children and make sure they're safe. And it's like the government's job to you know, educate them and whatever. And at 18, they're allowed to be quote unquote independent beings. But in truth, they become, you know, if, especially if they're um, schooled in public school, they become children of the state and, and children of the world. And it's just basically assimilation. But, you know, when you when we look at this Torah portion, um, at age 20, there's, there's, no, there's no notion of, you know, at age 20, I can do whatever I want and I can, you know, move to wherever and dye my hair green and you know like get tattoos or you know any of that stuff it's about now that you're 20 uh you're no longer you know necessarily under your your, your father's household but now you are a soldier of the greater body of israel and it's a complete it, it's very very different way to um look at life you know and you know i've i've heard that Orthodox Jews have the, have very low divorce rate, and it's for multiple reasons. I understand, but still, not you know other reasons aside, I think there's a, a very good reason for it as well, which is that you know when when a couple gets together and that they don't have the third aspect of uh, Hashem with them to anchor their marriage, then they're only there because they like how it feels to be with each other. But when you have God as your third person in your marriage, you know, like, like it says, a, a, a three-chord strand cannot easily be broken, um, then it's not about you, and it's not about the other person. You, you will persevere through the hard times when your spouse, when you and your spouse have a common, a common mission, a common goal. This is definitely a message for the teenagers primarily. Okay? So, um, um, and, and my husband, uh, and I, I don't know, different people were telling me this week, you know, talking about how well, you know, when, when, when children are 18, they can do whatever they want. It's like, you know, they can even, they can emancipate themselves at age 16, really, you know, right? I mean, that's not, I don't think that people of God should be saying to their children, 
when you're 18, you can do whatever you want. That's false. We're training our children now to be like this forever. It's not this, oh, right now, until age 18, you must keep Torah. And then after that, you can do whatever you want. No, it's not about that. Right now, we're training you how to be part of the greater um, community of Israel when you, when you do, you know, when you do leave the house. Another thing that I see um, is that, you know, I think in the Western world, the, the peak of your age when you're celebrated the most, or when people are celebrated the most, is right around, I'd say, 20 to maybe 30 years of age. Then after that, it's like, oh, you're waxing on your years, and, you know, oh, you've hit the big 40, right? Um, whereas, you know, Rush talks about how, you know, the priests, it wasn't until 30 to 50 that they were allowed to serve in the temple, and he said that's because that was the peak of their strength at age 30 to 50. And I would say that is true, not only of physical strength, but also uh, of wisdom. You know, uh, not, not that you peak your peak wisdom and you go downhill at 50. No, actually, at age 50, your, your, your physical strength starts going down. But then at age 50, you are supposed to serve as an advisor to um, the priests that are, are, are coming in. Um, and that's, I think, also in stark contrast to the westernized world where it's thought of as, you know, oh, you're old, you're out of touch, you need to retire now, you're no good for anything, just here, take this money and stay home and watch TV or whatever, like, and you know, let new, fresh, inspiring minds, you know, lead us, not these old geezers. But no, instead, in the Bible, you know, you, you don't get to start advising and counseling in, in the priesthood until you are 50 years old. And um, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. And I think that this is the correct way. It's not just for the Levites and that's not just for soldiers, but it's for all Israel to see as a pattern that, you know, you're being trained now as children to be part of Israel. And, and you're, not, you're not being trained so that one day you can break off and be individuals. That's an American thing. In, 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 in the biblical world, in the biblical worldview, in the Jewish worldview, the goal is to become one, to become one nation, to become one people, to become one man, one servant of God, um, you know, to do things in unity um, and, and not just to live for ourselves. Can you, mean, can you expound what you mean by not individuals? I think one might take that different ways. We're supposed to be communists. No. No, I'm, I'm, I that that we, we don't just live for ourselves. We're to live for the for the greater community of Israel to be a nation united in keeping the commandments. We not, are we are sure our brother's saying, keeper. I'm sure you, you're not saying something like that. Like you're not denying that different people have different qualities and no, I'm not of saying of course I know you're not. I'm not that. saying that we should be communists. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but everything else. <laughs> well, we can't be communists until Hashem is leading us. Then he can strike us down. Exactly. <laughs> then he can, you know, tell us. We can ask him, ask him hard questions, and he can answer. Well, but I think the difference, the difference though, between the quote, quote unquote socialism or communism of the Bible. I'm sorry to call it that, but there is this form of communal identity and unity, you know. But I think the difference is that it is it is it is grounded and centered on the family unit, whereas in communism, 
there is no family. It's not. It's irrelevant. It's, a, it's an enemy of the state. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's a degree of voluntarism. Like in Israel, there was no wall that you cannot. You will be prevented from leaving the country. Right? In communism, very often you cannot leave. Yeah, you don't have any choice. And if you try, if you get caught, just trying to leave, you can get killed. Like God doesn't say, "Oh, go do whatever you want." But there's no law that says if an Israelite goes out of the land of Israel that he's going to get executed for trying to leave. Mm -hmm. You could assimilate if you wanted to, you know. Not okay, that but that okay. Good. Sorry, can't hear you, Seth. But um, just want to answer him in that um, leaving Israel was. A, a sign of a lack of faith, mm -hmm. just like Ruth, Ruth's family. That was there was a sign of a lack of faith. Oh, Hashem will not provide for me Israel. Hashem will not provide for me a wife. Hashem will not provide for me livelihood. You know, food to eat, a job, whatever. It was a lack of faith on the part of Ruth, Ruth's family, and and she, and it, it because of that she did become part of Israel. You know, Hashem works with all of our, even our lack of weaknesses. But um, the more we leave the greater community, the more likely we are to assimilate. And that's just, that's just the truth. Jews need other people. God did not call out individuals. He called out, a, he called out a nation. He called out a people. He wants us to be social. That's what Shabbat is all about. That's what the holy days are all about. And I think, you know, when people are older and married and already have children and blah, 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 that doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter as much, right? But when, but when, when they're young and they're still looking for a spouse and stuff like that, it it does matter because you can't look for someone that is of, of similar faith if you're not around people of similar faith. All right. So does that mean like next year I, I can just be an advisor and sit back and let someone else take over? Are you saying you're old? I'm just saying I'm hitting that age. I'm hitting that age where I won't be able to serve in the temple anymore. No. <laughs> huh? Huh? You guys didn't answer. No. <laughs> That's true. I'm not doing physical work. This is not. Yeah. I, I still have like two toddlers, so I'm going to be doing physical work regardless. <laughs> All right. Um, let's turn.